0: This is the Iowa State Athletics SciCast. This SciCast is brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Visit any Van Wall location today to test drive the full lineup of John Deere compact utility tractors, which have the power and versatility to conquer anything this season. Hi, everybody, I'm John Walters. Today's SciCast is a visit with Iowa State graduate Jeff Joniak. Jeff is entering his 19th season as voice of the Chicago Bears, and his broadcast career started right here in Ames. We'll share some stories about that and get his early thoughts on David Montgomery and his potential with the Bears. We hope you'll enjoy this visit with Jeff Joniak. Well, Jeff, here in 1984, Iowa State graduate, 19th year as the voice of the Chicago Bears. That has to be an absolute dream come true for a guy from Grew up in Chicago, going to high school in Chicago to actually get to call the Bears games. You've got you to pinch yourself from time to time, I would think.
1: Uh, very much so. Uh, it's a humbling task, honestly, because it's the charter franchise of the National Football League, and they've treated me great. I've been with the organization for 23 of my 33 years here on the Chicago market. I was doing pre and post before that. And when I got the job, I really had no experience. So they, they took a major chance on me. And I, I can never repay them. I mean the McCaskey family has treated me like family. And I've created lifelong friendships with scouts, coaches. And you know from being in the business, that's a natural transition if you're doing it right. And you know, if you have the uh, the character and the integrity to do the job and, and make it not about you, I think you create a lot of goodwill throughout the industry. And, I mean, honestly, I go to the scouting combine every year. And I could literally book every hour of the day with, you know, friendships from scouts and executives and former coaches and by virtue of being in it you know for nearly two decades as the play-by-play announcer so that that makes sense but yeah it's it's a wonderful experience even when they're not playing well <laughs> and you've had stretches where that you know where it gets really bad i still love calling those games. that's my job my job is to to call the action for those who can't be there and it's an honor
0: no question about it at what age did you become interested in broadcasting and maybe who are some of the uh Maybe the broadcasters in the Chicago area that you admired when you were growing
1: up. Well, the funny story is I went to, I hand-picked Iowa State to be a meteorologist. So from the time I was in second grade, I wanted to be a meteorologist. <laughs> and not on TV, I wanted to chase hurricanes in Coral Gables, Florida at the National Weather Center. That's thats what I wanted to do. And by the middle of my sophomore year, my grades were awful because I just can't do math, big John, so I I, I struggled, I I tried hard, I struggled, I loved the weather, and then my father was very upset with me and didn't quite understand why I wasn't doing well, and he wasn't going to send me back. So I talked him into it and told him I liked to write. I mean, did I really like to write? I don't know, I just needed a way to get back to school. So I walked into the journalism department, and a gentleman by the name of Tom Beal looked at my grades, and Tom had glasses, he had eyeglasses, put them down at the edge of his nose. I'll never forget the conversation. He looked at me and said, what makes you think you're going to do any better at this? And I said, you got to trust me. So a week later, uh, I'm breaking down Dwight Clark's famous NFC touchdown catch on KPGY, the student radio station, on a talk show. And I'm like, wow, this is, this. I love sports. So I didn't realize I could do it. And then in the spring, I was calling Iowa State baseball games. I tried to walk on Iowa State baseball team with Larry Corrigan, who was the manager at the time. And um, I got my college roommate who was an architect major from Friley Hall. And we started calling to get baseball games. <laughs> that's how it all started. And I fell in love with it.
0: That's awesome. And, and, and that's how it starts for a lot of people. I know uh, I did games in high school, at Columbard West High School in the Chicago area. Same deal, just kind of fell in love with it. Well, tell me about, you, you were here during the, the birth of Hilton Magic, the Johnny Warriors. Yeah. How was exciting was it to be a part of that and be around that at Iowa State?
1: John, I literally I'm not joking. I just got goosebumps because I had so much fun calling Iowa State games and we had a whole staff. So at the student radio station we'd split halves. You know, you would be hoping you'd get the second half, so and I was the sports director and I was trying to be fair, so you know, I did it up, but you always wanted the second half of games because they were quite competitive and the place lit up when Johnny walked in. I got to know them fairly well because I was also working for the Iowa State Information Service, and I don't know if they still have that. But I would do interviews after practices and do game previews with the football and basketball programs, or or any of the other sports for that matter, wrestling, gymnastics. Uh, during the Olympics, you know, you do Olympic athlete previews, and I post them on a telephone recording uh, device, and s- stations across the state were able to get the sound bites. So. I'd sit in Johnny's office and he'd be on the phone with other famous coaches at the time, giving him business. You know, he turned around, he was very serious, very intimidating, but then, you know, he's the nicest guy in the world. And I'll never forget one time I'm in his office and there was a player by the name of John Culbertson. You'll, you'll remember John Culbertson from being a trade. So, and it's just the, you know, the, the instincts, the instinctive, uh, reporter in you. So I'm on, I'm on microphone. So I, turns around in his chair, and he goes, okay, you can begin. Uh, coach, uh, I, I didn't see John Colbertson at practice today. <laughs> And he got so red-faced. He says, none of your business. And then he went on to tell me why he wasn't there. He was fried because John Colberton mispracticed. Um, but he, he was great. He was great. And there's just so many great games. And I got to call the games of future NBA stars like Jeff Hornacek, who grew up here in the Chicago area in LaGrange. Uh, Barry Stevens, as you know, I mean, you know all these guys. Uh, Jeff Greer was my final season. I, I did, uh, I did that when he was there. So those guys were outstanding. The games were great. Some great finishes. I still have all those tapes somewhere, and I sounded like I'm 10 years old probably calling those games. But it was a lot of fun.
0: I would love to hear those, and we'll have to we'll have to get our hands on those <laughs> and put those on Cyclones TV as kind of like an ESPN classic. Old yes, exactly. Phenomenal. So you cross paths obviously then with. Ah, uh, Pete Taylor. From time to time, I would think, and then also ended up working for Mark Matthew at WI. Tell me about some of those memories of uh, of those times.
1: Well, Pete was great, and I, I very much looked up to Pete because you know, uh, spending time in college and trying to learn the business on the fly because it wasn't something I had committed to. You know, up until that point, I just was in a ferocious desire to find out everything I could, and he was ve- always very nice, nicest guy around. Uh, a legendary announcer who had, a, you know, quite the longevity at, at Iowa State, and that's the thing, you know, back in those days, and we're talking, you know, late 70s, early 80s. I think announcers were a little more, less than accommodating for young announcers. Now it's it's changed, but it's a little more territorial. And but he was not like that. He was he was outstanding. So I loved him. And Mark Matthew, he. I was very shy. It's a funny thing. I love the radio medium because I didn't have to look at anybody. They didn't have to look at me, right? I could hide behind a microphone. And I was always intimidated by the notion of doing television. And Mark kept on sending feelers through through channels that, you know, he'd want me to be an intern there. So I finally acquiesced, and I go over there. And Mark was great, always a joke, a deep voice. And uh, <laughs> he, he challenged me. He really did. He challenged me, put me in on assignments that were – really meant for a, a full-time person, but he he really cha- challenged me. And uh, the staff was great, and I used to love going in there. And, you know, you give up your weekends in college when you work at T- in TV. And they had us, uh, as you did, you know, around the state, driving as far as you could, quickly as you could, to quickly, you know, shoot a, a, a girls' volleyball game at some high school and only shoot a quarter because you got to do a boys' basketball game an hour away, and then you had to get it all in and edited and on the air by by airtime so it was very challenging it let let you appreciate the the value of deadline pressure and i'm honestly grateful for the opportunity i don't care how much of the dirty work it was it was a great opportunity and one of the great stories i never forget you and i were were joking about it before we started recording was indiana came for the first time of course from his big ten connection at michigan he and Bobby Knight were tight, so Indiana agrees to play Iowa State, I think it was in December, so it was early in the season, and he sent me out there, Mark did, I want you to go interview Bobby and Johnny, it's all set up. And I'm like, I, you gotta, you got to be kidding me. So I go in there, and Bobby Knight comes walking in slow walk. He's bigger than I thought, he's like, you know, 6'4", I had no idea he's that big, and he's just dog cussing. And Johnny's laughing, tears in his eyes because I'm not doing this interview with this pimply-faced college kid. I'm just not going to do it, John. And I'm literally in a state of shock. So at this point, I, I just, I just want to get out of there. So, And then Mark had me do the highlights for the game, which had not ended yet by the time of airtime at Channel 5. And I could not get the highlights edited. I I just was in a state of panic. It was too much pressure <laughs> at that young age.
0: <laughs> I've been there. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, those are great stories. Well, you know, the first time that Pete Taylor sent me out to shoot a girls' high school basketball game in the state of Iowa, uh, I walked in the gym and it was six on six.
1: <laughs> you mm-hmm. talk about a
0: deer-in-the-headlights look. I, <laughs> I
1: yeah, what's know. this, right?
0: Yeah, things are a little <laughs> different, but uh, those are those are great, great memories. Uh, you know many
1: times, you know, in, in TV world, uh, is, is, uh, for those of the uninformed, you got to white balance the camera. you got to use a sheet <laughs> of paper or something white, and I always forgot to white balance. So imagine <laughs> how the video looked. It didn't look very good. <laughs>
0: Been there, done that, too, many, many times. What about, uh, what about Cyclone football during that time? Do you have some memories of that as well?
1: You know, I'll start when the only year I actually could tailgate uh, was my freshman year. And, and that, to me, was one of the biggest thrills. And they, they weren't very good at that time. Donnie Duncan was the head coach. I had a high school teammate, a friend of mine from baseball, who played tight end there, Brett Blaney. He was on that roster. Uh, didn't get a lot of playing time. But I just remember the camaraderie of being in that parking lot and being there with, with your with your dorm floor and and the, the smell of the, the the pork burgers, because they always had pork burgers, you know, for the kids for some reason. It must have been a sponsored thing. But then getting a chance to get in that booth, I'm telling you, to this day, there's nothing in my life, and this may be a sad commentary on my life, I have two beautiful kids, and I've had great experiences in all sports, but settling in for a noon kickoff in the NFL, or, or there'd be an 11 a.m. kickoff at Iowa State, and just the... The smell of the grills, the the beauty of the field, the fans filing in, the 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 excitement of a big game about to happen, and there's no adrenaline rush I've ever had bigger than that. I just cannot put into words. And if you're in the business, you know what that is, what it feels like to call games. Call games is the pinnacle for me. I do sportscasts every day. I've done them for 33 years. Uh, I can do them in my sleep, but. I still get those butterflies to do a game, and no matter what it means, it could be the first game of the year, it could be the last meaningless game of the year. And so I loved going in that booth. We, I had a color man, actually, who was not a student. It was John Siriani. Do you remember John? Sure. Yeah, so he was my color man, and how, how great of an opportunity for a college radio station, because he just he wanted to be a part of it, to work with somebody who understood the game at that level. And um, so we had a great time. I had a great time. I remember calling the first night game at Iowa State mm-hmm. against Oklahoma. 12-10, tight right? night <laughs> game, 12-10. Yeah. Exactly. Good job you, John. 12-10. <laughs> Spencer Tillman, I believe, was on that team, and I later spoke to him at an event at the Super Bowl. Nicest guy in the world. Boy, was he a great runner. But Danny Bradley was the quarterback. Yeah. And I remember, you know, it was a very Switzer team, so, you know, he's, He's a modern-day quarterback of now. He would have been wonderful. But later on, I'm at the Bears, and we draft his son. And I'm doing an interview with him. I'm like, wow, this is freaky. You know, I called your dad's game at Iowa State, first night game there, and now I get to call your games. And then he starts telling me a story about his dad. When uh, Mark Bradley was young, he went to Oklahoma. When he was young, he shot himself. He found a gun and he shot himself. Hmm. And his parents were separated at the time, so he didn't know his dad. But he needed his blood, so the mom called him emergency. He flies in, gives him a blood transfusion, saves his life, and they became super tight. And they, he was his agent. Then in the NFL, they wrote a screenplay. There's going to be a movie about it. Wow. All, all of that remembering that Iowa 181210. So you never know what you're going to find out.
0: Today's sidecast is brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Van Wall Equipment and John Deere are proud to support Iowa's farmers in the field. And I was state athletics on the field. How did your career path end up taking you to the Bears then?
1: I started in Chicago right out of school. I got a job at something called Sports Phone and, and those in major markets of New York, Chicago, Detroit, San Francisco, LA would know what sports one was. It was nine seven six one three one three. And really it was a it was a bunch of young college kids that got these jobs and you every ten minutes you were updating scores. So we didn't have the internet then, so You go to sports phone, and obviously gamblers love that. You know They want to know what's going on, and that was my first job. It was very low-paying, but we didn't have sports talk radio back then. It's hard to get a job in Chicago with no experience to speak of. I had internships galore, even one in Cleveland where I also grew up, and um, that was a great experience, too. I covered the Indians, the Browns. I got up at 2.30 in the morning. I wrote news. I mean, I did a lot of stuff at this radio station, but so I had some experience, and that led into covering games, and that led to a job with a place called the Illinois Radio Network. And I started doing pre and post game only on the network for the state network, not the the flagship station in Chicago. But I started doing pre and post game for the Bulls, and that was during the the Jordan era. So I got really ingrained with the Bulls. And in 1991, when they won in L.A., I was there with a producer, and uh covered the entire locker room, and I'll never forget it. Um, James Jordan, the late James Jordan, Michael's father, was protecting my equipment. We didn't have wireless back then, or huh. at least my station didn't. So he would hold my equipment, make sure it wasn't getting showered by the champagne, and he would bring me players. He would bring me wow. all these guys to interview. And I, it was a one-man band, basically. Sure. Me and some producer at the L.A. Forum, at the, you know, in the, in the nosebleed sections, and we we did an unbelievable job to to cover that first championship. So I did pre and post all through the Jordan era and was very much involved with that. And then the station I was at, WMAQ, later on at the end of the Jordan era, they lost the Bulls' rights, we got the Bears' rights, and I was pre and post game and sports director. And then uh, Wayne Larravee was the play-by-play guy, now mm-hmm. with the Green Bay Packers. He left, was replaced by Gary Bender, and he did it for two years. And at the end of that two years... Uh, at the Super Bowl that year, my boss called me at halftime and said, "Meet me for a beer at halftime while I'm working." He was there enjoying it. He goes, "Hey, would you like to be the voice of the Bears?" And wow. I'm like, "Are you serious?" He goes, "Well, you're going to have to interview for it, but you know, I want I want you to be you know in the running." And so I I, I thought it was a joke because again, I had not done any college. And and nothing since college. No play-by-play. I had done a Northern Illinois game uh, as a fill-in when Michael Turner was a running back there. uh, But that was about it. And I had done some practicing stuff, but nothing to speak of. And I got the the job. I got the job. There were a lot of candidates, obviously. And so 2001 was my first season. And Bears went to the playoffs. There were great finishes. Uh, Mike Brown, a safety from... Nebraska uh, had two pick-sixes in back-to-back games against the Niners and Browns. and mm-hmm. I mean, it was the, the the opening kickoff of the preseason against the Bengals was that old Soldier Field, and I literally had tears in my eyes. I, I could not believe I was calling a Bears game. <laughs> so, and 19 years later, here we are. That's it's awesome. It's been an m- unbelievable journey.
0: Well, and, and as I can attest to with calling the Iowa State games, I I think – you get so close to the coaches and players, much more close than than fans maybe get the opportunity to do. And, and that's what I really cherish about it. What, what, who are some of the people who have worn a Bears uniform that you've admired the most during your time there?
1: Mike Brown comes right, right to mind. So, I, I do a lot of work for the draft, and I always have. I've always felt that it was a good way to just get a head start on the regular season, and you get to know all these new guys coming in. and, and it's an exhaustive effort, but I, I've always done it. and At that time, the Bears personnel department would let me watch the cut-ups, the tapes, uh, the profile tapes of all these players. And so I remember that year when he came out, they said, hey, uh, I want you to pick the safety you would pick. They're challenging me. And I remember, I I really liked this guy, Rogers Beckett. I think he went to San Diego State. And they kept sliding me Mike Brown's tape. I really should look at this, but I thought, oh, I didn't have a lot of speed and and so they'd take Mike Brown in the second round, and they just laugh at me. Rogers Beckett's going to have a short career. <laughs> Mike Brown was a playmaker. And Mike Brown was not the fastest safety, but he loved the game to a level that if there were no fans, he'd still play the way he did with reckless abandon and just come flying around, made big plays. It was all about angles for him. You know, that was his speed was the mental speed and getting in the proper angles. And I just admired how he played. I got very close to him. And the night before the Super Bowl in 2006, he was injured. He was injured in the Arizona comeback game that the Bears won, mm-hmm. the Danny Green game, you know, yes. crown him. Yeah. Uh, he blew out his Achilles. So uh, we were sitting on the plane talking, and, uh, you know, he just learned a lot about the game from Mike. But the night before the Super Bowl, I'm walking into the team hotel in Miami, and he says, hey, uh, go grab your microphone. Go grab your recorder. I go, what? not He's not playing. So he takes me out by the pool, and in full tears, explains how hard it is for him to not play in this game, his love of the game. So we played that in our pregame show right out of the gate. Wow. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. The yeah. guy had passion, and I loved the way he played. And then I got very close to Brian Erlacher and he's a dear friend, so watching and calling, uh, I watched every game, I called all but one of his seasons, and so, I mean, calling a Hall of Famer, you know, you don't get that opportunity every day, so... There's so many. I mean, I met so many guys that never even got on the field that I became close to in the locker room. The Lovey Smith for nine years. He he basically gave me my Ph.D. in football. I mean, we do a coach's show every Monday night, and I'd sit in his office for hours later just watching tape with him. I don't say a word. You know, he's explaining stuff to me, explaining the cover two defense in great detail, and why you know gap control is so important. And you know, it's it, it just you you cannot. You cannot describe the feeling of living through that unless you actually have because it's rare. You know, it's hard for teams at this level to open up the curtain, but if they trust you, you, you never know what you're going to get, and you listen twice as much as you speak, that's for sure.
0: I think you guys just picked up another guy that would fit in that uh, Mike Brown category that you just described for the love of the game, and David Montgomery out of Iowa State. Rookie minicamp this past weekend. I've heard nothing but good thing so far what are your early impressions of David Montgomery
1: well first of all his reputation certainly precedes himself so the character thing and and general manager Ryan pace and I had a short conversation after practice yesterday that that's the, the part of him that you're really gonna get to know and everybody vouches for him uh, from his tough background in Cincinnati to Matt Campbell and the impact he had on him he had a great weekend he really did uh, he, he caught a pass down the sidelines that was not an easy catch blanket coverage caught it down the sideline got up and made a touchdown obviously no pads we're not going to get uh not gonna go crazy with no pad football but it's just an, an example um those darting moves in the hole his great vision his ability to stay you know on his feet the contact balance all showed up in in you know these Practices just this weekend without pads, so I, I just can't wait to watch. I watched almost every of uh, his, either on my own, getting ready for the draft, or the many occasions I got to, to watch games on TV the past two years of him. And I, I was just amazed. I was amazed at how that guy does not go down. Uh, he just does not go down, and that's rare. There are not many guys in the league yet, right now. Every every running back is different. You just can't classify him as, you know, this group of guys that does it this way. He's got unique contact balance, and he's he doesn't, as you know, there's not a lot of negative runs. So that's gold in the NFL. So you stay ahead of the chains. You don't want to be behind the chains. It's just big time trouble, you know, for your offensive line to stop that pass rush. So he's, uh, I can't wait. He feels like a first round running back, John. Even though we got him in the third round, and I know they had him high on the board, so they're thrilled to have him.
0: I know one thing about David when he was here at Iowa State, he, he never wanted to talk just about himself. He always wanted to talk about that running back room, and obviously you have a tremendous talent there in Tariq Cohen, but can you see him being a good fit with Tariq and that Bears running back room and really just kind of working together to provide a good product?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So they also brought in Mike Davis from Seattle and free agency, and doesn't have a ton of carries, but a productive back, South Carolina, rugged guy. So... They've already, you know, Mike Davis came up with the nickname Run DMC for these guys using uh, the initial of of each of the three. So I think it's already, they're already welcoming. Uh, Tariq's a totally different back, more of a a specialist, I would say. And Matt Nagy, the head coach, wants a buffet of offensive weapons. So not one guy, you know, is going to get the bulk of the carries. One week it might be David. Next week it might be Mike Davis. It's going to be spread around. But the key is they got to be able to be pass catchers. And that one route over the weekend, that that's big. That's big for Mike, uh, from for David because being able to take the the flares out of the backfield, the screens and whatnot is great. That's almost an expectation for running backs. But he's got he's got good hands on top of it. But being able to run routes within the offense and the scheme is is a great weapon. So he's very much being compared to Kareem Hunt. I see I see all the comparisons. Of course, Matt Campbell coached both players, so there, there is a lot to that. And if if he is that type of player, wow, the Bears, uh, Bears hit a home run because you saw what Kareem Hunt did in the same scheme in Kansas City.
0: Well, I think you're going to enjoy him a lot. I know you will uh, as a person, and I think you will absolutely as a player too. And Jeff, I really appreciate you taking some time today. And Sometime when you're back here in Ames, uh, stop by and we'll share some Johnny Orr stories because I got a few from that
1: uh, from that <laughs> era too.
0: Uh, he was awesome. He, he was a great guy. So
1: he was a great guy. I mean, I, I you know when they played here's Johnny, oh, you know coming know. into the college, there's nothing better. That place just lit up and he just pumped his fist and he was a great guy. He was. Yeah, he could be a little salty at times, but <laughs> he he was he was a great great guy. I really enjoyed him and I enjoyed everything about Iowa State. And I got to do I got to say one thing, I, I follow um, your athletic director on mm-hmm. on Twitter, and uh, my daughter goes to Iowa State, and he, he he's impressive. I've never met him. But, Mr. Pollard, you're doing a heck of a job with the entire athletic program, and I applaud you, and your connection with the students is very clear. So when my daughter, who's not like, you know, she loves sports, but, you know, she mentions him by name because of Twitter, I, you're making a connection to the kids too. So great job. So it's a wonderful place to go to school and a wonderful place uh, for athletics.
0: Well, we're happy to have you as a proud alum of Iowa State, Jeff, and I appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jen.
0: Today's SciCast was brought to you by VanWall Equipment. Stop by one of their locations and learn why VanWall Equipment and John Deere
1: are Iowa's clear first choice. Thanks for listening.